All right, hey everybody, welcome back to our coverage of uh, Doctor Who. Well, this will be the second episode of the second season of the, I, I don't know, I can't remember. I think this might be the 11th Doctor, but I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah, this will probably be the first episode you're hearing. We will do. We will cover the first episode of this season, but I want to put that in line with the holidays since that's called the Christmas Invasion. And these are episodic anyway. So this is called the newer New Earth. Now, no the in there. And it comes, starts with like a series of shots of the TARDIS and the Doctor walking. Really cool. He's got on Chuck Taylors, white Chuck Taylors or something like it. In his suit, he hangs his jacket, his duster. I don't think it's a leather, raincoat jacket. He hangs that up. Uh, he pulls his levers. He touches a green glass bauble or a clear bobble, or maybe it is green glass, and it's lit. Uh, uh, flicks some switches, roses outside the TARDIS. Looks like she's going uh, backpacking in Europe. Uh, she's got a park on, too. She's saying her goodbyes. Pumping starts up. The doctor is really grinning now as he kicks it into gear. Uh, he's doing it with light. Like he's throwing switches with flourishes. Uh, Rose says goodbye to Mickey, love you. Rose is on board. She's got a knit hat on at first. Uh, the TARDIS is out. Jackie walks off. Mickey stays for a little while. Obviously torn a little bit. Uh, and uh, then he walks off. Uh, they say, where are we going? Further than we've ever gone before. Roads will need no roads, uh, as another doctor once said. I wonder if, Di, you know, that'd be interesting. I guess he can do it, but if Di, has Doc Brown or Christopher Lloyd ever appeared on Doctor Who? Just a question. I don't know. I guess Doc Brown wouldn't fit in there. Uh, first, uh, wind, hair. Oh, so they step off the TARDIS. Uh, there's wind in Rose's hair as she comes out. Uh, first, uh, they're in Galaxy M87. This is New Earth, uh, the doctor says. It's a super modern flying cars and everything. Let me see, not bad, not bad at all. Uh, five billion and twenty-three. I think that's a year. Five years, five billion twenty-three. Uh, New Earth apple grass is the uh, grass smells like apples there. It really uh, demonstrative, like in a good way when you're watching it without in, on mute. Uh, Rose is laughing. Uh, Rose is excited. She jumps up and down. She says, "He'll never get used to this uh, standing on different ground." I love it. Uh, uh, you know, standing. Also, we learn it's a new, 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 new York, uh, the fifteenth uh, since the original, I think. Uh, but it's the same size as Earth. Uh, the planet is New Earth. Uh, same air, same orbit. Uh, you know, the call went out for humans. Hey, come live here. Yeah, let's see. Love traveling with you. Come on. Oh, they they talk about, uh, you know, being in the, the, just like their first date. They had chips together. They lie in the grass uh, together. And the doctor's jacket. Uh, and then the doctor says, come on. And they run off. Uh, then we see a magic ball camera. Oh, no. What is that called? When you uh, can predict people's futures and you look into that. I don't know how I can't remember that. It's not a looking ball, a glass ball, but it's called something else. And they say, oh, I'm looking in. It's not a magic ball. How can I not think of what that word is, though? 
And this is a the person looking, and it says, "Oh, there's a pure, pure human, uh, original human." And someone else's voice says, "Look closer." And oh, this is, must be when they were kicking back in the grass. The doctor on the doctor's jacket, uh, talking about, uh, "Can we visit go, go New York?" Uh, so good, they named it twice. Uh, but he says, first, let's go to that." Uh, uh, building there uh, with the green moon. It's uh, where they care for people. And he goes, it's a universal symbol for uh, caring. Also, I got this message on uh, psychic paper. Come to, please come to uh, floor 26. And Rose said, I thought we were just uh, sightseeing. And then they say, let's go get after it. Then we hear Cassandra's voice from a previous episode in the first season. And she says, I recognize that, uh, something. And it's Rose Tyler. She's the one. She goes, this is beyond destiny. Uh, theme first green moon ward. Oh, that's the green moon on the side. Uh, please call them. Oh, we see cliffs in the distance, the sky. Uh, so Cassandra has a sidekick and she says, this must be destiny. Uh, then we're in the lobby of the building. Uh, they talk about pleasure gardens. Uh, there's lots of green moons everywhere, like symbols. And they're in the lobby. The doctor says, there should be a shop in this lobby. How come there's not a shop? Uh, he, he repeats that a few times, you know, where you could get gum or cards or flour or, you know, other things. We see that the uh, building seems to be run by uh, humanoid cat nuns. And it's very lobby-like. Uh, then the doctor gets on the lift, a.k.a. elevator. Rose doesn't get in on get on in time. He says, watch out for the uh, spray spray, the freshener. I don't know what that says, override? And there's air, air dryers on the thing. So they spray you with a spritz that freshens you up, and then they air dry you. Uh, the doctor rolls off the elevator upstairs, but Rose, when she gets on the elevator, she ends up downstairs. And this person says, this way, Rose Tyler. But Rose has been around the block. She knows something's going on. And then we see the doctor is walking with one of the cat nuns. And they're giving a little bit of exposition. He says, how come you don't got a, a, a shop downstairs? I think. And she says, uh, oh, well, we're here to help people, not seldom things. Uh, and he goes, here, shops do good. Not for me, but maybe for other people. And she goes, we're my, she goes, I'm a, you know, exposition time. We're the sisters of plenty, plenitude. And we have a lifelong vow to help and mend. And then we see the Duke of Manhattan and the Duke of Manhattan's assistant say, uh, he's dealing with some petrifold regression. And uh, he goes, man, I've been a lifetime of charity and abstinence. What the heck? Uh, and there's jokes. His assistant is named Clovis, Frau Clovis, actually. There's a but there. There is also a butler there on the right. Uh, uh, things turn to stone. New uh, novice Haim is who the uh, one of the people the doctor's talking to. Then we see our good buddy face a bow. because uh, the doctor says I'm supposed to be here to meet somebody, and he goes, Oh yeah, I found a face a bow. And that was somebody else, and they leave doctor with Mav, uh, Mav, Mavis Haim. No, no, novice Haim. 
And he goes, can you check for Rose Tyler? I, I, I'm waiting for her. And then she says, yeah, Facebook's sleeping. Sleeps a lot. Uh, Facebook's getting older. You, do you know the Facebook? The doctor has met once on platform one. And she goes, yeah, possibly a big farm. Uh, you know, the Facebook's either thousands or millions of years old. And But, but that's not even possible. The doctor goes, well, uh, I like impossible. And he goes, hey, it's me, the doctor. I know I have a different face. Uh, then we see uh, Rose downstairs. Let's see what else. Thousands and millions. He gets really close. To, the doctor gets really close to the face of Bo's glass and touches it. And it even looked like the face of Bo smelled the doctor, like sniffed it, like it knew the doctor was there. Then we see a movie projector. And it's a fancy party of our favorite Instagram filter, Cassandra. But she's a human in the movie. And then someone says Peekaboo, and it's Chip, who is Cassandra's assistant. Uh, he's a golem like, uh, he's a cologne. And he's there to moisturize Cassandra's uh, Facebook, in, uh, in, uh, Facebook filter or whatever. Uh, Chip talks in the third person. Oh, Chip, you know, Chip helps Cassandra. Chip uh, maintains her uh, filters on Instagram. Uh, you know, it moisturizes her. And Cassandra's still saying, well, I'm the last human. And Rose goes, this is New Earth. It's a planet full of people. And they go back and forth, uh, you know, uh, talking about Cassandra and her. Uh, and then she says, hey, uh, the cats are up to something, these nun cats. Uh, she goes, I want to tell you a secret about these nuns' cats. And Rose goes, no way. Something trampoline, she calls her. Uh, what does she call? Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I don't know. She says, you're some kind of, you know, she goes, uh, whatever you do. And uh, she's, then she says, hello, Blondie, or something. And then they do like a switch, like, uh, and they're like the parent T-R-A-P, they do that thing where they switch a row. I don't think that, that didn't happen in that movie. There's a Friday and it was a little freaky. I think that's the movie. But instead of uh, switching, just Cassandra goes into Rose. Uh, arms, she goes, holy cow, moisturize me. I got arms, I got fingers, I got he, uh, hair. She says, let me see. She says, chav, very chav, which I looked up. We'll talk about that later. Uh, then we're back in the uh, main building. We hear the uh, over thing. Hope, harmony, and health. Hope, harmony, and health. The doctor actually has water, and he gives uh, Novice Haim some water. We learn that the face of Bo lives in a, a kind of a jar of smoke, not water. He's the only Bo left. Ancient Bo, uh, he sings ancient songs sometimes. And the face of Bo watches the universe go around, and it says that one time before he goes to the big farm, the face of Bo will impart a great secret uh, only to one like himself, a wanderer, a man without his home, the lonely god. The doctor goes, huh, sounds interesting. And then the D D Duke of Manhattan calls the doctor over. The doctor also hold, was holding it while the Duke of Manhattan's talking to him. He's like holding his ear uh, earlobe and stuff. Uh, and he says, I'm all clear. No more petrified regression. I'm totally back. Uh, uh, then we see Cassandra, she says, from class to brass as she's looking at her. 
being rose. She goes, curves, like in a bouncy castle. And let's see, all clear, magic or cats or some science. Uh, and at some point, Rose's uh, phone rings, uh, and it's the doctor. It takes a while for Cassandra to, to figure out how to talk and whatever. Uh, doctor goes, where are you at? And she she goes, uh, she goes to her psychic, how's Rose talk? He goes, cockney. And she, go, he, she goes, I'm on my way, governor. And he goes, I'm with the face of Bo. And she doesn't know what he's talking. She says, oh, that big old boat race. I love it. And then she goes, don't worry, I'm on my way. Oh, that's when the doctor talks to the Duke of Manhattan holding his earlobes. Uh, and uh, they, they go, what is it, a magic? And no, a matron cast. But one of the head nuns says, no, no, it's just hard work, science. And the doctor goes, well, how on earth did you do it? Uh, petrifold regression is pretty... Uh, and she goes, New Earth. Uh, and he goes, well, what'd you do? She goes, simple, uh, but secret. Uh, can't tell you. And then they call her away. And we see a little bit more of the mystery of the cats. Uh, let's see. Also, uh, Cassandra's rose, she, she unbuttons a few buttons. Uh, she fixes her hair. She puts uh, some perfume between her uh, uh, in, in, between her buttons. Uh uh, let's see what happens. Then uh, uh, we see the cats. Yeah, we see more mystery with the cats. Uh, uh, doctor. Oh, Doctor has his glasses on. And he's looking. They see, he says, he asks him again. They say something about cell washing. Crescendo uh, palindrome. I don't know what that means. I can't Adam and Eve it. Uh, let me take a look here if I can find that. Uh, uh, petrifold, uh, positively sparkling. Oh, yeah, somebody else was dealing with macaroni issues, and I think he was getting cell washed. Oh, and Cassandra Rose, see, he goes, uh, yeah, this person's suffering from palindromes, uh, but uh, now totally doing good. And Cassandra Rose says, I can't Adam and Eve it. And doctors, what's up with your voice? She goes, just, uh, you know, uh, kicking it on the new planet, uh, new city, new way of life. And then she kisses a doctor uh, who says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, and he his voice goes up. He goes, yep, still got it. Uh, and she goes, let's go this way. They needed a terminal to check out some screens. Uh, subframe is locked. Uh, but they do some sort of inner installation protocol. And then there's big music. So we see a secret panel. And then they go into a room. It's kind of like the movie The Matrix. Uh, and they say, wait a second, this is like The Matrix, a movie. And they say, yeah, everybody's in, in their own room watching The Matrix movie. Everybody. And the doctor's like, you got to be kidding me. All of them? What is this? And they go, yeah, it's a research on if you watch The Matrix, if you'll think you're in The Matrix. He goes, I don't like this. Uh, then he talks to Novice Haim about it, who says, uh, well, I have a lot of cognitive dissonance, so I can do my job. And let's see. They say, yeah, we don't like this. You can't just make people watch uh, uh, The Matrix to seize what ha- see what happens. They go, oh, yeah, no, it's for the greater cause. Uh, uh, so Sorry. Uh, let's see, the doctor even raises his voice. He goes, this is not, uh, acceptable. 
Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, no city people. He goes, do they know, does the city know about this? They go, oh, no. And then he goes, yeah, also, Rose, I know something's up with you because you'd be more caring about this, more empathetic. Uh, he also says, I'm being very, very calm, very, very calm. Uh, then he says, uh, he calls somebody clever clogs and smarty pants. And he goes, I knew something was up. Uh, and he figures out Cassandra. Maybe she called him clever clog and smarty pants. Uh, so she gives him a snooze perfume and runs along. Uh, then she pulls some cords and the doctor wakes up. He's watching the Matrix. And he goes, what are you, Rose, what are you doing? You're, he goes, Cassandra, why are you inside of Rose? Uh, and she goes, three minutes, doctor, and you're going to be watching uh, the, the, the Matrix movie over and over again. And he goes, let Rose go. She goes, yeah, as soon as I find an upgrade, I will. Now hush, baby. And then Cassandra tries to negotiate with the cat nuns. Uh, one of the sisters has to kind of... Uh, and held the chamber. Uh, so she lets everybody out of the Matrix because she says everybody turns off everybody's TV. So then they start wandering around like, I've been watching the Matrix. What's going on? Because uh, she says, Cassandra wants cash. Uh, she says, I'm going to ruin your tests. Uh, and then everybody watching the Matrix gets free and they're just wandering around. They're like, I need some Mountain Dew. I've been watching Matrix for four days. Totally. Uh, and one of the nuns says, by goddess Santori. And uh, then the doctor and Rose get reconnected. Uh, and he goes, uh, let's go downstairs. Everybody go downstairs. Let's put a, uh, you go, this people have had too much screen time, just like kids. They need a quarantine until they, uh, you know, just some sunlight and that kind of stuff. Uh, some fresh air. They need a fresh air and teen. And uh, they say, get everybody fresh air stat, and everybody's wandering around like, uh, no, I need popcorn, you know, munchies. Uh, well, there's also a lot of phone booths in this episode, like uh, uh, like with white phones and domes around them. The lifts are closed. Uh, Chip has to hide. Excuse me, service, uh, video game sound effects, uh, uh, freezer vinyl. I don't know, like, uh, I think they they keep running downstairs, uh, uh, just down to, like, where uh, Cassandra was originally hanging out. Uh, oh, I think, uh, who was it, uh, Frau Clovis is asking for service. And then they see everybody coming out, like, from the Matrix. They're like, what, man? Neo, uh, you know, I can bend it, or whatever. People are like, bend it, uh. Uh, then Cassandra and Rose, let's see, get up now. Oh, my. Oh, wait, okay. Here they go. Cassandra's got, we got nowhere to go. So the doctor goes, get out of uh, Rose's body. So she goes into the doctor's body, and she says, it's really good acting and fun. Uh, she goes, oh, this is different. Uh, I'm a man now. And she goes, well, I have two hearts. I'm beating out a samba. She starts kind of doing a samba. He's slim and foxy. She goes, oh, Rose, you thought so, too. I've been inside your head. You like the doctor. And she goes, Rose, then the doctor says, Cassandra and the doctor say, well, Rose, what are we supposed to do? What would the doctor do? And she goes, go upstairs, which was just the opposite of what they did. 
Then they go serious. We see even the doctor of Manhattan, uh, no, Duke of Manhattan, his doctor of Manhattan was from a movie. Uh, uh, he even helps. Uh, and then the, the Ro, Rose says, you got to get out of the doctor's body. We need the doctor. And she goes, I don't want to go in your body. It's Hormone City. And the cats aren't happy. And I think Cassandra says, go play with a ball of string. And then they say, move. And then she says, you got to use the sonic screwdriver. And she says, how? And then they say, go back into my, go into Rose, back into Rose. And she says, it was so chaftastic. So they do a back in the fourth thing. And it was even Matrix, like, feels like she's in the Matrix. Uh, and then they say, you know what? These people need it. And too much screen time. Just like kids, some of them need to be held or hugged. Because they say, I'm not tired. I didn't have too much screen time. And instead of saying, yes, you did, you say, oh, here, let me just give you a hug. Uh, maybe you didn't have too much screen time. You're just fuzzy all around. Uh, then the doctor reaches the level with the face of Bo. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Duke of Manhattan and everybody working, saying, what's, what's, what are we going to do about these people uh, that have had too much screen time? There's too many of them, and they're moody. So what's the plan? And they go, well, I don't know. Uh, we, we, no one knows what to do. And the doctor's like, we got to get fresh air and sunlight, and I guess to hug everybody because uh, we don't want them heading to this big city. And he goes, this could, he goes, I don't know, I'm sensing a sympathetic vibration. And he goes, okay, I got it. He goes, I got it. Uh, he goes, I got a plan. I'm going into action mode. And so he goes into like A-team mode, like a superhero music, uh, starts putting stuff on, making stuff. He goes, I'm going down. Uh, he goes, you should come with me, Cassandra. I need your hands and you need to live a little. She goes, you're completely mad, and now I see why she likes you. And the doctor goes, let's go for a wild ride. And then he says, hold that lever. We're cooking up a cocktail. This was Mountain Dew. I mean, this isn't recommended for everybody. But he's like, I'm taking Mountain Dew, New Dew, Strawberry, you know, all of them. Uh, combining and pat, and then he wakes everybody up, and he says, start hugging everybody that had too much screen time after you've had a sip of Mountain Dew. Uh, pass on. He's very happy too. He says, "Pass it on, pass it on. Love and healing, uh, hand to hand." Uh, he's breathing and smiling, and he goes, "I'm the doctor. I, I fix things. Uh, look, uh, and there's still lots of more hugs." Uh, and he says, "Completely, completely uh, fresh air and sunlight. Everybody's getting some fresh air and some sunlight. This is great." And everybody starts to feel better, especially from the hugs, I think. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, uh, live without, uh, or life will out, uh, he says. And the doctor's very, very happy. He even says, ha. Huh. Then we see the cats get busted. They see you can't just have people watching uh, uh, that much TV. Uh, then the doctor goes to the face of Bo, who's feeling better. Says, "Oh yeah, you got things to do." And uh, Cassandra doesn't like uh, telepathy. The face face of Bo goes, "You know, doctor, I got fed up with screen time, but you've taught me to look at it anew." 
And doctors, there's legends that say you're millions of years old and you got great secrets for a lone wanderer. And the Facebook goes, yeah, but it can wait. Uh, doctors, really, can, can't you tell me a secret now? And he goes, we'll meet again, doctor, for the third time and the last time. And the truth will be told. And then uh, Bo uh, teleports out. Uh, and the doctor goes, textbook and en- en- enigmatic. Let's see. Bo uh, teleports out. Uh, Cassandra, Rose, and Chip. Uh, Cassandra has to get out of Rose. So Chip volunteers to store Cassandra because he says, I worship and welcome. Uh, then Rose, the doctor, hugs Rose. They say, hello. Uh, and uh, let's see. And she goes, I'm a walking doodle because Chip had uh, different uh, d- d- drawings on him. And he goes, finest hour and hat. Uh, and Chip's almost out. So he says, it's time for me to go to the big farm as Cassandra. And the doctor goes, how about one last thing? Then we hear the TARDIS. Then we exit. Then we exit the TARDIS at a party. There's some gold uh, holiday decorations. I don't know if it's a holiday party. And we see Cassandra there. She's resplendent, the regular past Cassandra. She's talking about something, you know, she's the life of the party. She goes, don't quote me on that. Uh, Bien tot or something. And uh, then uh, uh, Chip walks up to her, Cassandra Chip. He goes, I just want to say you look beautiful. And she goes, well, that's very nice. You strange little thing. Thank you very much. And Cassandra Chip goes, I mean it. I mean it. You're really beautiful. Just the way you are. Just the way you are. Uh, and then Chip lies down, goes to the big farm. Uh, and Cassandra holds Chip. Uh, and uh, the doctor watches as him and uh, Rose walk off. He looks back and kind of watches uh, Cassandra kind of hold herself full circle. She's been uh, reassured, like kind of had her esteem inflated. And she's saying goodbye to Chip. Uh, and the episode kind of comes to a close on the doctor's look. Okay, let's run through some things Some things that came up in this episode. The first thing was a glass bobble, uh, reminding me of a paperweight. Uh, and I said, what's the history of paperweights, right? And uh, so I went on Wikipedia, which is a paperweight is a small, solid object, heavy enough to keep papers from blowing away. Or from moving under the strokes of a painting brush uh, with Japanese calligraphy. Uh, decorative paperweights of glass are produced by artisans or, you know, in industrial ways. And they be, can be collectibles, uh, some of which are museum in museums. Uh, first produced in 1845 in France, uh, uh, such decorative pa- paperweights declined in popularity before undergoing a revival in the mid-20th century. Uh, so let's just take a look at that history. Uh, the classic years go from 1845 to 1860. And, uh, uh, came from three French factories uh, named Baccarat, uh, St. Louis, and Clichy. Uh, uh, they made between 15,000 and 25,000 paperweights in this classic period. Uh, lesser quality ones were made in the U.S., U.K., and elsewhere. And modern weights have been made from the 1950s to the present. Uh, in uh, the 1940s in the U.S., uh, uh, the, the Charles Cazin made some, uh, it's a little bit, I don't know, some of this seems like a little contradictory. 
Uh, but yeah, it's like there's two big periods of, uh, of glass paperweights and a few different styles of them. Uh, there's museum collections at the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, the Bergstrom Mahler Museum in Wisconsin, Corning Glass Museum in Corning, uh, and in uh, Devon, England, uh, are some of the big ones. And there's also paperweight collectors, and you can read more of the articles. Uh, uh, Frau Clovis was in this article, so I said, let's look up Clovis and see what comes up. Uh, C-L-O-V-I-S. And uh, Clovis I was the first king of the Franks uh, who united all the Frankish tribes under one ruler. Not sure if I'm pronouncing this. Uh, uh, changing the form of leadership from a group of royal chieftains to a single king uh, in a monarchy passed on to the heirs. Uh, let's see. Let's see what else. Uh, four, this is in the 400s. 481, at the age of 15, Clovis became king in what is now northern France. Uh, took control of a rump state of the Western Roman Empire and uh, had taken over some smaller Frank, Frankish uh, kingdoms and even a Visigothic kingdom uh, to the south. Uh, Clovis is important in the histori- historiography of France as the first uh, king of what would become France. Uh, his name is Germanic, uh, composed the elements hold, fame, and wig, uh, W-A-R-ish. Uh, and the origin of the later French name giving Louis, uh, born by 18 kings of France. Uh, uh, Clovis is also significant due to the conversion of Catholicism in 496 at the behest of his wife, who would later be v- venerated as a saint, Clotilde. Clotilde. Uh, celebrated today in the Roman Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, Clovis was baptized on Christmas Day on 508, uh, and this led to widespread conversion, uh, religious unification across modern-day France, Belgium, and Germany, and could have been the precursor to three centuries later to Charlemagne's alliance with uh, the Bishop of Rome. Uh, under Otto I and the birth of the Roman Holy Roman Empire. It's, it's interesting, a uh, little piece of history there. What about uh, Chip in this episode talks to Chip uh, about Chip in the third person? And I said, oh, let's look some stuff up about the third person. This is from thecut.com, The Science of Us, uh, August 24th, 2017. This is by Brina Kerr. Uh, to de-stress, uh, try talking about yourself in the third person. And uh, they talk about talking about themselves in the third person uh, during a stressful time. And, uh, you know, how there was a lot of feelings coming up, and uh, it even made a challenge work a challenge. And then one day they were on the beach, uh, and to clear their head, uh, they, they, I realized that I was if I was going to get through this, uh, I would probably have to manage, imagine myself as someone else. Uh, and then, and actually, I've used this technique. It's very, very useful. Uh, thinking of myself as me, a person uh, going through a tough time, I started to make plans, a plan of action as if I was advising a friend, uh, someone I knew deserved to be cared for, someone whom I loved and who happened to share, have my name. It worked. 
And they say, you could scoff all you want, but research backs this up. A recent study in scientific journal, scientific reports, uh, says talking about yourself as if you're someone else is a relatively effortless way to quell strong emotions. And a technique which isn't always used in most conventional talk therapy holds promise for people battling, uh, uh not easy times. Uh, you know, the, the, there's been a lot of investigations into it. It's very simple, fairly simple to do. You know, when things come up, drop the eye and use you, he, or she instead. And this helps people get something called psychological distance uh, by using your own name and possibly second-person pronouns. It creates a little distance and uh, makes you think about your feelings and thoughts like you're looking at someone else's experience. Yeah, they actually actually point out that LeBron James, for example, has been called out for this uh, uh, about talking about himself in the third person. Yeah, but he said uh, you know, maybe it's a sign of uh, healthy self-talk. And I see other public figures have used it. Uh, but evidence of this isn't just anecdotal. Uh, scientific studies are starting to back up uh, and use uh, scientific method to figure this out. So maybe it is uh, something, you know, we, we maybe something somebody like Drew could try out uh, and, you know, get back to you. Or actually maybe something Drew uses all the time when he talks about Bill. Uh, his man, no, Bill's real. Okay, well, I think Drew uses it, though, sometimes. Or does Scoots use it? Well, both. Uh, didn't realize it was an advantage till now. I didn't. I don't think he knew uh, how healthy he was in this uh, uh, melange of a brain he has. Oh, you don't know if Drew knows that meaning of that word? Okay, well, let's just move on to the next point, which is about the uh, band Blondie. And a Wikipedia article about that, because that came up, the word. And Blondie is an American rock band founded by singer Debbie Harry and guitarist Chris Stein. Uh, new Wave and Punk uh, are part of both of those uh, scenes in the mid-70s. Uh, their albums contained elements of both those genres, uh, were successful in the U.K. and Australia, but more of an underground hit in the U.S., until the release of Parallel Lines in 1978. Uh, then they had some hit singles, Heart of Glass, Call Me, Rapture, and The Tide is High. And they had an eclectic mix of styles, including disco, pop, reggae, and even early rap music. Uh, they disbanded in 82. Debbie Harry considered, continued to uh, pursue a solo career. They reformed in 87. They had another number one hit in uh, the U.K., with Maria in 1999, 20 years after their first uh, hit single, Heart of Glass. They've sold 40 million records worldwide, still active. Uh, I think they're playing at the New York State Fair, or they did this year. Uh, they're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2006. And I'd say they're yeah, pop icons, for, for sure, especially Debbie Harry. Uh, what about uh, Chav? That came up. I, it was a, my first introduction to that word ever in Chavtastic. I knew it wasn't a positive thing, but I said, what is a Chav? Uh, and it's spelled C-H-A-V or Charver in parts of northern England. And it's not exactly a nice thing. It's a way to describe uh, antisocial youth dressed in sportswear. 
Uh, so it was a way for adults uh, to uh, talk about a youth subculture in the UK. As a younger person, a low, like a uh, brash and loudish behavior, who wears real or imitation designer clothes. Uh, opinions divided on the origin of the term. Uh, it might mean uh, child. Chavy has existed since uh, the 19th century. Uh, Eric Partridge mentions in his 1950s dictionary of slang and unconventional English. Uh, but the current pejorative uh, was recorded uh, by Oxford English Dictionary. It's first used in a Usenet forum in 1998 and then in a newspaper in 2002. By 2005, was more widespread uh, to, to describe antisocial, uncultured youth who wore a lot of flashy jewelry, white trainers, baseball cats, and designer clothes. Which I guess Rose has a, war, a tracksuit, kind of, uh, on in this episode. Uh, but I think it's more, uh, it's funny because it reflects more, much more poorly on uh, Cassandra uh, uh, than uh, than on Rose, I guess, showing that she would use pejoratives like that. Uh, criticism of the stereotype, the BBC documentary suggested that Chav culture is a previous evolution of other uh, youth subcultures, uh, so it's just, just just things kids do, and it's, uh, I don't know. But, I mean, I think in this episode it's used in a way that really gives us insight that uh, Cassandra said it J-E-R-K. She also uses the term cockney. Oh, you know what? No, she doesn't use it. Uh, I think uh, uh, her buddy uses it. And uh, cockney, just in case she is, uh, it has a kind of different meanings and associations, uh, but it was also a term uh, originally to just to refer to city dwellers, then to Londoners, uh, born within Bow's Bells uh, in the city of London. And then it eventually became to refer to those in London's East End or to just working class people in London. Uh, lingui- linguistically, Cockney English refers to accent or dialect of the English traditionally spoken uh, by working-class Londoners. In the 1980s, uh, some features of Cockney English became more frequent in broadcasting, and the media began to speak of a new standard called Estuary English. But most uh, linguists rejected this analysis, uh, and the term is used less frequently now. Yeah, earliest recorded use was uh, 1362 in Piers Plowman, where it meant a small misshapen egg. Uh, uh, concurrently, the mythical land of uh, luxury, C-O-C-K-A-I-G-N-E, uh, became humorously so to, associated with uh, English's ca- England's capital, the English capital of London. The present meaning comes from its use among rural English people in the 1520 as a, a pejorative for, for people from the city. And from earlier since in Canterbury Tales, uh, a child tenderly brought up. Uh, may have, so a couple of ways it, uh, it could have developed. Uh, but yeah, it's just a little bit about that. Uh, Clever Clogs was another good... Uh, the term I was introduced to in this episode. 
uh, probably the best one. Uh, clever Clogs is a uh, someone who is rather too clever, a smart Alec, smarty pants. Uh, so I don't know. I guess maybe it was used in another episode, but I was like, uh, I really liked that clever, Cl- good old clever clogs. You could call me that. Uh, uh, what about ending, ending, enigmatic? Uh, it's a tough word for me to say. And let's just make sure we know what it means. Uh, mysterious pertaining to an enigma. Let's see. Well, let's I guess let's look up enigma then because that's not very helpful. Uh, being derived, uh, uh, something or someone puzzling, mysterious, or inexplicable, or a riddle, or a difficult problem, uh, would be uh, being derived from the ancient Greek verbal noun enig- enigma, uh, dark saying, speaking, and riddles, or from the Latin for riddle. So that's a little bit about enigma. What about doodle? Uh, it's a nice word. I love that word, doodle. I like a doodle. I don't really doodle a lot. Though when I was in school, I was a doodle. When I was in school, I was a doodle. But what is a doodle? What's well, a drawing made while a person's attention is otherwise occupied? It, it could be simple drawings that have concrete representational meaning or just composed of random abstract lines, uh, generally without lifting the drawing device from the paper. Uh, it can also be called a scribble. Uh, they're most often associated with young children, toddlers, and scoots. Uh, this says because of their lack of hand-eye coordination uh, and the inability to keep things within the lines. I always think of it as a good sign. Doodlers are I'm pro-doodle. Uh, doodles and noodles. That's my new cafe I'm opening one day. Uh, doodles and noodles. Uh, in no, you know, no poodles. So, oodle, we'll have oodles of noodles at uh, doodles. Come by, so, so, toodles. Uh, that's what we'll say when you leave at uh, noodles. Or what is my place called? Uh, it could be doing in uh, the history of the word, though. Uh, it meant simple the people that weren't super intelligent in the 17th century. Uh, so it wasn't exactly a, uh, in the 1936 film, Mr. Deeds goes to town. Uh, in the final scene, the main character introduces the word doodler, which the judge has not heard before. Uh, is the name we made up back home to describe a person who makes a foolish devi- designs on paper when they're thinking. According to this, it wasn't a common word usage at the time. Uh, so, uh. That no one outside of Mandrake Falls maybe knew it. Uh, uh, perhaps the word doodle used here in its modern sense of absent-minded design on paper was not entirely new and was not invented in the script, uh, but it is attested that way. It's also used in the original way in Yankee Doodle, uh, originally sung by British troops about uh, Americans uh, in a non-positive way. It can aid in the person's memory, according to applied cognitive psychology, uh, by expending just enough energy to keep one from daydreaming, which demands a lot. Whoa, boy, I didn't know that daydreaming demanded a lot of brain's processing power. Drew didn't know that, but Drew will think about it now. Uh, So it's a little bit about doodles. I'll also include the link to uh, stuff about Cats the Musical. We covered it a few years ago. 
Uh, but the art, like a Wikipedia article being here about cats musical, since there was a lot of cats in this episode, I think they'll come up again. So if they do, we'll, we'll maybe cover it then. Uh, but that's it. Uh, good night.